0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Koop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. So glad that they could... Uh Be with us today, and glad that you're with us today, and you get to be part of this special audience, getting to see Mary here today. Last week we had the Apostle Paul with us; that was great. And then next week, you have to know we are going to have with us Onesimus. And you say, "Who is Onesimus?" I've never heard of that character. Well, then that's all the more reason to be here next week, as we'll be talking with Onesimus. We'll find out a little bit about his life, and every one of these characters we're talking with will help us further understand the difference that Christ can make in our lives, that we really are a new person when He comes into our life. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Paul and the secret of the ages, that he revealed the secret of the ages. In Colossians, he said, I've been made a minister of that. That's my job. That's my role. We all have a purpose and a role in life. And Paul said, hey, my role? You want to know what my role is, Paul's saying? Colossians chapter 1. He said, my role is to tell everybody about this mystery, the secret that was hidden from the ages, he said, "Is that the secret, like the book the secret no it 's quite a bit different, And if you excuse me, miss last week 's message and you need to go and listen to that online and find out, well, what is that secret?" Paul talked about it, and we reviewed it last week this morning we 're talking about Mary Magdalene, a woman with a new identity, and like was mentioned in the bio. People give Mary all kinds of an identity. Some say that she was a prostitute. Some said she was married to Jesus. And they've come up with all kinds of stories about Mary. And they give her all kinds of an identity. Don't you just love it when people give you an identity that's not who you are? And they think you're something that you're not. And you have to say, no, 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 that's not who I am. So Mary, today we're going to talk about the identity that Jesus gives her. Your best identity is the identity Jesus gives you. The strongest place you'll be is when you review the identity that Christ gives you. If we try to base our identity on what others say or think about us, we'll end up in a ditch. But if we base our identity on what God says about us, look out. All things are possible then because you believe what Jesus says about you. One of the most important things to do in your Christian life is just to believe what God says about you. The enemy will tell you something about yourself. Others will tell you something about who you are. But what does God say you are? I'm going with God. I'm just going to go with what God says I am. I think that would be safe to say, if he thinks this about me, then it must be true. Let's find out what God thinks about us. We're going to use Mary's life. We'll also use some scriptures to understand this. We're going to have to unpack some things to get there. We're going to have to dig a little deeper this morning to get there. But this foundation is essential to know our identity, to know who we are in Christ. Certainly, like Mary... We can have a new life when we meet Jesus. Her life was radically changed. We read a little bit about her life in Luke 8, verses 1 to 2. The notes are there, and that verse is in your notes. Not long afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby cities and villages to announce the good news concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, by the way, is good news. He took with his disciples, he took his disciples with him, along with some women. So he's got his 12 boys, and he's got... Uh, while they're teenagers, maybe in their early 20s, and he's got some women with him. And he'd healed them and cast out evil spirits from them. So Mary wasn't the only one. Others were sick and had been changed by Jesus. When he changes your life, like Mary, you want to follow Jesus. Now, uh, it says here very clearly that from whom he'd cast out seven demons. Then there's some other women. Some are mentioned. This is an interesting one. Joanna, the wife of Shuzah, Herod's business manager. That's kind of interesting. Herod's business manager's wife traveled with Jesus. I wondered what Herod was thinking when he interviewed Jesus, that his business manager's wife traveled with Jesus. Susanna was there and many others. And they contributed from the resources to support Jesus and his disciples. We find that women traveled with Jesus and supported him during his earthly ministry. We find the women at the cross. We find the women in the upper room. One thing's for sure, it hasn't changed over the years, women aren't going to follow somebody if they aren't valued, loved, respected, empowered. They're as no, they're smart as you are. They wouldn't waste their time, wouldn't waste their resources giving into to somebody if they treated them like dirt. You have to know Jesus absolutely loved, honored, respected, and empowered these women. There is a reason why they follow. There is a reason why these women stood at the cross and saw Jesus crucified and they loved him that much. Why? Because the way he loved them and valued them and treated them as equals. The Bible says in Christ there is neither male nor female. He treated them as equal. In that day and age, in that culture, that was revolutionary. And it carries forward to today where we are. Uh, there's So much has been done because of what Christ taught us on liberating men and women. Now... Here's another good verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We used it last week. We have to use it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we spent a little time last week talking about being in Christ, how a, a picture of that is Noah's ark. That ark is a type of Christ. We are in that ark. We were Noah went into that ark by grace, it says, that he was protected from the judgment floodwaters, and he was in the ark, and we are in Christ. We're protected in Christ if someone is in Christ, they're a new person, a new creation. Mary was a new person. That old person that was tormented by evil spirits, that old person was gone. She was a new person. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We exemplify this in water baptism. And if you haven't been to water baptism Pastor Cheryl invited you out on next Saturday night. Man, come out. Join it. It's a great night. Or if you've never come down to English Bay when we do it there, you see people, and what they're saying is, when my wa- body goes down in the water, that old life is gone. That's the old me. There's a new person, something new. My body's the same. My eyes are the same. My hair's the same. My, I look the same, but inside, something's different. Hard for me to describe, but I have a new life on the inside of me. That's where that life change takes place in our hearts new life new identity mary witnessed the death of jesus which was the final sacrifice for sin if you're filling in the blanks the word you want to write in there is death and sacrifice if you went out on robson street today and did a survey and took a little clipboard with you and you asked the question how do you have to get to heaven there'd be all kinds of answers but most of the answers you're going to get we've done this in the past. Or, well, if I do this, if I live a good life, if I give enough, I help enough, and have the right karma, and all kinds of answers, then I'll get to heaven. Or someone will just fly and say, I don't think there is a heaven. But it's seldom you'll get somebody who'll say, I will go to heaven because somebody gave up their life, sacrificed their life for me, that I might have a new life, and that man is Jesus Christ. That answer is not so common. Look at Mark chapter 15, verses 39 and 40. It says, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. What did he see? We reviewed this at Easter time. Well, he saw an earthquake, felt an earthquake. He saw darkness. He saw Jesus praying for people on the cross. When he saw those things, this hardened Roman soldier, tough Roman soldier says, that was not a son of God, the Son of God. They were, Romans were pantheists. they believed in all kinds of gods, but he said, "No, no, this is the Son of God." Some women were there watching from a distance, and look, it specifically mentions Mary Magdalene, including Mary Magdalene, and also Mary, the mother of James and the younger and of Joseph and Salome. So there are other women that are watching. Mary Magdalene is there. She saw the sacrifice. Now, we look at Mary. Okay, Mary had a new identity. What about me? How do I get a new identity? What's involved for me to get a new identity? We too can have a new identity in Christ. Paul said the secret of the ages is Christ in you. Our enemy, Satan, would like to keep that a mystery. He'd like to keep it a secret. The last thing he wants wants you to know and to realize is that Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But he does not want you to understand that. He doesn't want you to focus on it. But this core truth of Christianity, we have to go back, study it, review it, meditate on it, chew on it. Bible says consider this. You've got to keep going over and over again, this key truth. Because we'll default to trying to make ourselves right with God by doing things. And we cannot do enough things to be right with God. The only way we're right with God is through what God did through his son Jesus Christ. Look at here in your notes, we have Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 3. You know, the sacrifice of Jesus' life made us right with God. The yearly sacrifice under the old system of the law was no longer needed. And we're very thankful for that. That old system is finished. Hebrews 10, 1 to 3 says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. It was a shadow. The law was a shadow. If you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of law there. That was just a shadow. Now, this podium has a shadow. If I study the shadow of that podium, you know, I I can get an idea what the podium looks like. But I, I really, I can't see the color of the podium. I can't see this chrome holder. I can barely see it there. I don't know that there's glass there. I can't really see that. I certainly can't feel it like I can feel this but I know that there's I know that it's there. I can get the the general shape of it. I know that it's real. The fact that there is a shadow here proves that this is here, right? If the shadow wasn't there, this wouldn't be here. I have a shadow here which proves that I'm here. The Old Testament had a shadow of Christ which proved that he was going to come. But they couldn't They couldn't get the 3D. They couldn't get the depth of it back then. All they had was a glimpse of what was to come. We talked about the ark, and Noah was a shadow of Jesus to come. When they went out of Egypt into the promised land, if you watch the movie, The Ten Commandments, remember the story. They go through the the Red Sea, that old classic movie, and they come through on the other side, and they celebrated Passover. It was a celebration because that... death angel passed over their homes and their firstborn didn't die if you watch the movie and every year after that they would celebrate well that was a shadow of christ who would give his life for us he would be the sacrificial lamb that was a that was a a picture of what was to come but they couldn't touch it and feel it like we can it was it was a shadow it was a shadow of what of good things to come we sang in that last song just a little while ago about how God is good. In Jesus are good things. In Jesus, there are good things. Every good thing comes from the Father above. It Good things. I like that verse. Good things to come. And not the very image of the things can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect, for then they would have not... then then would they have not ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Okay, you might be saying, what is this writer talking about? We don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Something Paul did, but we're not exactly sure. But nonetheless, it's very inspired, and it's talking about here the fact in the Old Testament... Every year they made these sacrifices. Actually more than every year, but on a regular basis they made these sacrifices. To have guilt, to know you've done something wrong, and want to be right with God, there has to be a sacrifice. So every year they would make these sacrifices. And the writer here is saying if the consciousness of it was gone and they were free from it, they would have no longer made sacrifices. But every year they had to make the sacrifices. They were reminded that it was covered, but it wasn't taken away. You and I, through Christ's sacrifice, listen carefully, we're not reminded. We can forget about it. We're no longer conscious of what we did wrong. We're new. We're a new person. That old life has been buried. Somebody had this example I thought that worked good for me, helped me understand it better. A businessman goes to the bank. And if you've been ever gone to the bank for a loan... You know the drill. You go to a bank for a loan, and they'll say, do you have a business plan? And you say, yes, uh, Mr. Banker, here's my business plan. And he takes a business plan, and he examines it very carefully. and He says, okay, where's your cash flow? Where's your collateral? How long are you going to take to pay me back? And, and they put you through the 10th degree before they finally give you the money. And then they give you the money, and they say, oh, just before you get that, you know what? Uh, we need a cosigner. We need a very, 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 very... Very, very wealthy person to co-sign. You have somebody like that. And so you get your very, 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 very wealthy person to come and they co-sign. And all right, now you're off to the races. And you're, you're in business. But the first year, you make no money. You make nothing. Of anything, you've got debt. You go to the bank. And you say, oh, Mr. Banker, Bad year. I made no payments, I know. And I'm supposed to bring in all the money at the end of the year and pay you principal and interest. I can pay you no principal. I can pay none of the interest. The banker says, that's okay. You got a very, 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 very wealthy friend who co-signed for you. And if anything we know, we can collect from him. So we're going to add all that interest. And now you have a bigger loan than you did before. We'll rewrite the loan for you. And you go, oh, good. Good. I'm off the hook for another year. And thank goodness you got a wealthy friend. So you go through another year and another year goes along and and uh, it's not so good. And you come back to the banker the next year and say, oh, banker, man, I hate to tell you this, but I lost money this year. Matter of fact, we're going to have to rewrite the loan if we could, because now I got last year's interest and this year's interest and no principal has been paid. And you know what? It, it's gotten quite a bit bigger. And the banker says, you still got that wealthy friend to see he still here. You he "Yeah, my wealthy friend is still here. I'm glad he's very, 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 very wealthy because I'll rewrite the loan for you. So he rewrites the loan for you. And you come out of the bank that day and go, oh, that's a relief. I can operate for another year. But how many know there's a cloud over your head? You still got this debt. So you go through another year. And guess what? You don't do so hot this year either. You come back to the bank. You say, banker, it's getting bad. I got debt, on debt, on debt. We're going to have to rewrite the loan. My principal is now much bigger and... Could you rewrite my loan? And the banker says, you still got that wealthy friend? I still got that wealthy friend. Well, he's very, 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 wealthy indeed. And so we'll rewrite the loan. And so they rewrite the loan. And you come out of the bank that day and you go, whew, I got another year. I feel a little bit better. But there's still this cloud of debt over your life. Folks, that was the Old Testament. Every year they come and they would make a sacrifice. But it was never removed. It was never paid. The Bible says until the fullness of time came and that very, 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 very wealthy one who is Christ with all the riches of heaven came and he paid once and for all, cleared it all up. And so you had nothing to pay. That's why it says you were redeemed. You were paid by that final sacrifice. And when was that paid? That was paid at the cross. That was the sacrifice that, that he would he knew no sin, the Bible says. He knew no sin, but he took our sin. He took our penalty. That old law had a lot of ifs. And we, as humans, we want to default there. Well, if I do this, I'll be right with God. Or if I do this, then I can go to church and hang out with friends. Or if I do this, I'll be accepted by God. Or if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, this, or this. That was the Old Testament. The good news is Jesus did All the ifs. He fulfilled every one of the ifs. There's only one if you have to do today. The only if you have to do and I have to do is if you'll accept what Jesus has done for you. Then you can have the freedom that he's promised. Then you can be a new person. Where? On the inside. The miracle takes place in your spirit. You're you're made new. You're a new identity on the inside. That consciousness is removed. I... You know, the cross, we're kind of stuck on Resurrection Easter, I think, here this month. But it's a good place to be for a bit. Park here and think about it. Sometimes we just kind of blaze through Easter and we need to think about it for a bit. Because it's really the, the fulcrum of Christianity. If you take this out of Christianity, you take the linchpin, you take the key for everything Is centered on this cross. Somebody once told me a little rule of thumb that helped me understand the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. Because sometimes I'd go into the Old Testament, I'd read something out of Leviticus, I'd go, oh man, this is, I, I, how am I supposed to do this? There's a guy who uh, was in the news a couple years ago and he said he was going to keep everything in the Old Testament, he was going to keep all the laws of the Old Testament. And I thought, man, bless your heart, you're confused. <laughs> we don't have to do that stuff anymore. The reason we don't have to do it anymore is because the cross, I This might help you. It help me. It's like a filter. Stuff got filtered at the cross. Before the cross, there was sacrifices, animal sacrifices to cover their sin. Well, when you come up to the cross, Jesus fulfilled all those requirements. He was the final sacrifice. So after the cross, all that stuff you read in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, that's been done. We don't have to do that. Hallelujah. That's been filtered out. In the Old Testament, there were curses. In Deuteronomy 28, there's curses. There were curses that were there. But when you come to the cross, it gets filtered out. Because Paul said to the Ephesians, he became a curse for us as it's written. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. So all the curses that you read there, he took all those so they get filtered out. So now you come to the New Testament, all the blessings flow through. The blessings of Abraham, the blessings you read about, they come to you. It is a covenant Jesus made with better promises. So those come to you. Well, that's good news. Just go back and read Deuteronomy 28 and you go, I'm so glad they got filtered out, but I get the blessings. Now, in the Old Testament, there's also civil laws that God gave the people to rule the land at that day. But they don't apply today. So there's some things in the Old Testament that they're there that they give the shadow of what was to come. But now that we're here, we've got this. We don't have to do that. It's rich. It points to this. But we don't have to live that. The moral law comes through. We, we still have those Ten Commandments. That's come through. But those other things were filtered. Christ fulfilled that. Let me give you another example. This is the cross. And the pretend the stage is a timeline. If I go back in time, this is as far back as I can go. Now, there's the cross. I stand on the mountain peak of prophecy, and I can see a shadow of the Messiah. Ah, there is one coming. I can't get all the detail because I'm just looking at a shadow, but I know that he's coming. And as we move towards the cross, in the Old Testament, they kept rehearsing for this event. Every time they took Passover, it was a rehearsal of an event that was yet to come. And so they kept rehearsing it and rehearsing it. Kind of like if you've ever been, to a, if you've been in a, involved in a, in a drama, a play, or a concert, what do you do? You keep rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing it, right? Why? Because you know the day's coming. But eventually the day comes. The day comes and Jesus dies and rose again. That's the event. That is the the event of history. That takes place. That event happens. Now, after it happens and I move to this side into the New Testament, we don't rehearse anymore because the event happened. Now, there's no need to rehearse it. What do we do? Jesus said, Do this in what? In remembrance of me. So you, if you've rehearsed and rehearsed for a school concert, then you have the school concert. You get a little video camera out there, and you see Johnny being silly, and you have all these other things. And then later on, you look back, and you remember the event. So that's the way it is with the cross. Now we look back and remember. But back in the Old Testament, they rehearsed and looked forward to that final sacrifice for our sins. Ah, Hebrews 10, verse 10. We put this verse in there out of the Amplified Bible. In accordance with this will of God, we, we've underlined this, have been made holy, consecrated, sanctified, set apart through the offer made once for all of the body of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. You cannot do anything, listen carefully, You cannot do anything to make yourself more holier than you already are. Well, if I gave more money, would I be holier? No. If I thought better thoughts, would I be holier? If I did this, would I be holier? If I did this, would I be holier? You are as holy as you can get through what Jesus Christ has done for you. You are as righteous as you can be because of what Christ has done for you. He has positioned you as holy and as righteous as you can ever be. Now out of that position, out of that identity, we live out our holiness, but you have been made holy. See, this is hard for us. And our enemy we really would not like us to understand that. He'd rather have us trying to do a bunch of stuff to get holy, but you have been made holy. You've been this is who you are. This is your identity. Mary got that. She realized, I'm a new person. Your identity. People try to steal our identity. The enemy tried to steal your identity. But if we get this, if we hold on to it, this is the key for living an overcoming life. Hebrews 10, 14, we put that in there as well. For by a single offering, that one offering, he has forever. If you like, circle the word forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy god sees you holy so i don't feel very holy If you knew what i did last week you wouldn't be saying that i'm in church because i want to get things right this morning i don't feel very holy at all well let's look at it from god's perspective he sees what his son did for you when he went to the cross died and paid for your sins now when we come and we look at jesus When we look at him, sin drops off, weights drop off, things that would slow us down, and we're able to run the race. In the Old Testament, there's a, a picture, a shadow of it. Jesus referred to it. They were bitten by serpents. And Moses said, well, put up a pole and put a serpent on the pole. If you've ever gone to a medical office, you've seen a picture of it. It's still used today. And he said, if you will look at the serpent on that pole, you will be healed. Jesus said that same way, I'm going to be put on a pole, and I will become that sin nature. And if you look at me, you will be healed from your sins. When we look at Jesus, folks, when we're looking at him, when we look at him, that sin, that old nature falls from us, and we're made whole. We're made new. I told you we had to go a little deeper today. Dig into Hebrews chapter 10, that we are forever cleansed by the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The more we get this, the more you fall in love with God, the more you'll fall out of love with sin. The more you draw close to him, the more you want to leave the rest behind. I did a life group in Yaletown a number of years ago, and uh, a fellow there in Yaletown uh, we sat down for our life group. And I don't know if you ever had a life group where it's sometimes it's just you and Jesus. I don't know if that's ever happened to you as a home group, a life group leader. It's just you and Jesus. And those are kind of fun. You kind of get over the fact that, no, I'm not being rejected. They will show up next week. And, and you do your life group. And and sometimes it's just you and one other person. And I sat down and met with him. And often those are God set up because that individual needs to share something. and And I was challenging him to go. I said, come on, you need to, You need to get stronger in your walk with God. And he shared something that I'll never forget. He said, Dave, a number of years ago, I was at a trade show, and I looked across, and there was uh, this dazzling woman standing there. I thought, hmm, I'd like to get to know her. And so as I went over and introduced myself, he's Italian, and so he had all the suave Italian, uh, you know, we, us men can take a lesson from the Italians. And he went over there and it wasn't long he got to know her. And then he invited her for lunch and invited her for supper and, and so forth. He says, eventually I got to know her. And then we dated for a while. Then we got engaged. He said, and I want you to know something. He says, I did not, I was not deeply in love with her the moment I saw her. I liked her, but I really wasn't in love with her. I've, I fell in love with her as I spent time with her. He said, now you're here, and you're talking to me, and you're saying, Dave, you need to love Jesus more passionately. He said, you know what? It's kind of like my wife. I am falling in love with Jesus. He said, I'll get there, but I am falling in love with Jesus. I think that's the way for a lot of us. We, we're, we're hearing about Jesus. We're coming to discover it. And we're, the more we learn about him, it's like the more I'm falling in love with you, Jesus. I hope today if all you get is the the depth of what Christ did for you, that you can fall in love with him. Hebrews 10, 18 and 19, we can come boldly into the presence of God. Now, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Thank God. So, brothers and sisters of Coastal Church, he's talking to us, we can boldly, circle the word boldly, enter heaven's most holy place, Because of the blood of Jesus. I want to take time to read a little story that's going to help you. We'll put up a picture of the tabernacle the way it was in the Old Testament. We need to appreciate what we have today because of Christ. Let's put up this picture, and it'll help understand what He's done for us. This is taken out of book by John Phillips on the book of Hebrews, and he's trying to give you an understanding of what you have through what Christ did. He says. Let's, let's talk about the Holies of Holies. To picture what this means, to go into the Holies of Holies, imagine a Moabite. Those were people who lived in the area when Israel was in, that, in the tents and coming out of, into the wilderness there. Imagine a Moabite of old gazing down upon the tents and the tabernacle of Israel from some lofty mountain height. Attracted by what he sees, he descends to the plain and makes his way toward the sacred enclosure surrounding the tabernacle. It is a high wall of dazzling linen which reaches over his head. He walks around it until he comes to the gate where he sees a man. May I go in there, he asks, pointing through the gate to where the bustle of activity in the tabernacle's outer court can be seen. Who are you, demands the gatekeeper. Amen for all the gatekeepers. I am a, I'm a man from Moab, the stranger replies. Well... Says the man at the gate, "I'm very sorry, but you cannot go in there. It's not for you. The law of Moses uh, forbids that." The Moabite looks sad. Well, what should I do? To what would I have to do to go in there? He insists. Why well, you'd have to be. well, you'd have to be born again? Replies the gatekeeper. You'd have to be born an Israelite. You'd have to be born of the tribe of Judah, perhaps, or of the tribe of Benjamin or Dan. He says, "Well, I wish I had been born an Israelite or one of the tribes of Israel." As he looks more closely, he sees one of the priests having offered a sacrifice at the brazen altar, cleanse himself at the brazen laver, go on into the tabernacle's interior. He goes, what's in there? Inside the main building, I mean. Oh, says the gatekeeper, that's the tabernacle itself. Inside there is a room containing a lampstand, a table, and an altar of gold. The man you saw is a priest. He will trim the lamp, eat of the bread upon the table, burn incense to the living God upon the golden altar. Ah, sighs the man of Moab, I wish I were an Israelite so that I could do that. I should love to worship God in that holy place, trim the lamp, burn some incense, eat at that table. Oh, no, says the man of the gate, even I could not do that to worship in the holy place. One must not only be born an Israelite, one must be born of the tribe of Levi and of the family of Aaron. The man from Moab sighs again, I wish, he says, that I was born of Israel, of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron, he looks at closely at the tabernacle door. He goes, well, what else is in there? Well, there's a veil, says the gatekeeper. It's a beautiful veil, I'm told, that divides the tabernacle in two. Beyond the veil is what we call the most holy place, the holies of holies. The Moabite's more interested than ever. He's, well, what's in the holies of holies? Well, there's a sacred chest there called the Ark of the Covenant. It contains certain holy memorials of our past its top is made of gold and we call that the mercy seat because god sits there between the golden cherubim you see the pillar of cloud hovering over the tabernacle well that's the shekinah glory cloud that rests on the mercy seat again a look of longing shadows the face of the man from moab oh he says if only i were a priest i'd love to go to the holies of holies and there gaze at god and worship him there oh no says the man the gate you couldn't do that even if you were a priest. To enter the most holy place, you have to be the high priest of Israel. And only he can go in there. Nobody else but he. The Moabite yearns once more. Oh, he cries, if only I'd been born of Israel, of the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron, if only I'd been born the high priest, I would go in there into the holies of holies. I would go in every day. I'd go in three times a day. I'd like to go and worship there a lot. The gatekeeper looks at him once again, shakes and says, Oh, no, you can't do that. You couldn't do that. Even the high priest of Israel can go in there only once a year and then only after the most elaborate of preparations and even then only for a little while. Sadly, the Moabite turns away. He has no hope in all the world of ever entering there. Hebrews ten nineteen. Having therefore boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, says the writer of the Hebrews. It's a revolutionary truth. It's understandable that the Lord Jesus should enter the holies of holies in heaven But here it is, a tremendous word of welcome extended to all of us to come in to worship, not in the holiest place of the human tabernacle, but into the holies of holies in heaven itself. Folks, we get to go into the holies of holies because of a final sacrifice Jesus has done for us. You have to understand that you could not come into the presence of God if there was even a speck of sin in your life. That would disqualify you. But Jesus has removed every speck of sin from your life, and you can come freely into his presence because you've looked upon Jesus. Number three, we have to wrap up with this. After his resurrection, the first thing Jesus did was reassure Mary of her identity. After his resurrection, what does he do? Number one, number one, this is important. The first thing he does is he reassures her he says, Mary. He calls her by her name. He calls you and I by our name. But then look what he says. John 20, verse 17. It's there in your notes. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to, to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father. Watch closely. And your Father, my God, and your God. What's Jesus doing? First thing he's doing, he's saying to Mary, Mary, we're related. Mary, my father is your father mary my god is your god mary this is who you are don't let anybody ever steal it from you you are a child of god that's who you are wow that's powerful the first thing god does is reassure you of your identity the first thing satan does is try to get you to doubt your identity why did he say to jesus when he was tempted if you are the son of god if you are the son of God. He didn't say he was, and he tries to get him to doubt it. And he'll try to get you to doubt that you are a child of God, that you have been made holy and pure, and you can live an overcoming life. That's what he wants to rob from you. Because when we get this revelation, the gates of hell cannot prevail against a church that knows I have been redeemed. It wasn't based on what I did, but there's one named Jesus who paid the price. I have received it. And today, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.